Amen. You may be seated. It is so wonderful to look out here. I got uh, choked up two different times tonight. One, uh, last winter, it was, a I think, the coldest night that we did church out here. I had a propane heater on my legs. I had hand warmers in my flannel pockets. I had a hat and a hood on. And afterwards, I went uh, off stage, and I looked out, and I saw all these families bundled in blankets, crammed in the back of minivans trying to stay warm. And it just hit me that these children are observing the importance of being together as a family, uh, to come together to worship God. And I got a little uh, choked up looking out here tonight and seeing families wrapped in blankets uh, coming together uh, to worship God and to celebrate what this time of year means. The other time I got choked up is I looked at the weather uh, where I'm originally from, and currently it is 23 degrees, and they are in a winter storm weather warning. And I also got choked up tears of joy that God called me here. So in honor of those people still miserably suffering, I'm not wearing a sweater tonight. I want you to turn to everybody's favorite Christmas passage, Psalm 118. And I know what you're thinking, oh, we're always in Psalm 118 on Christmas. Just kidding. Chances are this is not a normal passage you would read, but uh, for the last month and a half, we've been going through this series that we've calling our present and future hope. And we've been going through the Messianic Psalms uh, here at church on Saturday night, and every Wednesday we've put a devotional out, a, an 8 to 12 minute devotional, depending on who's doing it. And we've been able to go through that this ancient Israel, the hope that they would have had, the hope that they would have looked forward to as we study all of the different problems they would go through as they would turn their back to God, and then God would allow them to go through this time of, of chastisement or discipline, and as they were wondering how much longer will we suffer, they would always put their hope in the coming Messiah. So as we read through this, and I'll hopefully be tying it together for you about Christmas this evening, but Psalm 118 is this snapshot of the life of Jesus. Psalm 118 actually concludes, there's uh, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 is called the Egyptian Hallel, meaning the song of praise. And it was more than likely written during or shortly after the Egyptians were freed from captivity in Egypt and they were making their way to the promised land and they would recite these Psalms in times of despair. And as they were hoping and they were putting their hope in the Messiah, and yet this Christmas Eve and tomorrow we celebrate when the Messiah came to earth, was born on earth, was born to die so that we might truly live. Psalm 118 reminds the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, of what it was to be trapped in slavery. And the freedom that comes because God sent Moses who would represent an imperfect Savior, an imperfect Messiah, a sign of what was to come in the perfect Messiah. And he freed them as they waited and as they, they killed this innocent, perfect lamb and put the blood over the doorpost that the angel of death passed over and they would leave. And because of that plague, because of what God did and punished the Egyptians, they were freed to go to Israel, but the journey was tough. 
The other interesting thing about Psalm 118, as we've been going through the book of Matthew this last year, uh, we've, whenever we do communion, we're in Matthew chapter 26, and it says, after they did this, after they took part of the Passover meal, and, and this transition of Jesus now making that, this is what you do in remembrance of me and why we do communion. It says, and they left and they, they sang a hymn. Most scholars would agree that that hymn that they sang was Psalm 118. It's what the psalm that the Jewish people would sing after Passover. And so we'll see as we walk through this, and it's a longer psalm, so we're just going to break it up in, in different sections as we go, but we'll see the life of Christ played out. We're going to see things that you'll remember from past promises of the Messiah, and, and you're going to see things that would play out uh, hundreds of years later, and then eventually almost a thousand years later in Jesus coming to earth. And so Psalm 118, although uh, as we've been going through the Messianic Psalms and it's been tough to tie, uh, sometimes we're like, is this about David? Or is this about Jesus? Or is this about both? In Psalm 118, it seems to be this prophetic message of what was to come. So we want to view this psalm as both a reflection of God's power in the past, knowing that we can put our hope in his power moving into the future. So read with me verses 1 through 4, and I'm just going to give you the title. Hopefully you're taking notes. So I've titled verses 1 through 4, The Lord's Love is Timeless. It's okay to say amen after that. I'll try it again. The Lord's Love is Timeless. Read verses 1 through 4 with me. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. In fact, why don't you read that echo with me as we go through? I'm going to start again. You read the his love endures forever with me. Ready? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. And let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Well done. The Lord's love is timeless. Forever, or, or the word eternity, are one of those words that you can kind of get lost thinking about too deeply. We see in verse 1 this intro into this psalm, this this piece of poetry, and it will be re recorded or, or said again or repeated in the last verse of Psalm 118. And these are the bookends. This is what we are to remember, that it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And this sets the tone of thankfulness no matter what situation in life you find yourself in. As we've been going through James, the passage that keeps coming back, consider it pure joy when you find yourself in all kinds of trials. Here we see, be thankful no matter what situation that you find yourself in. And this should cause us to stop and reflect as this call out specifically for the nation of Israel would have been, let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, or let the priests, let the spiritual leaders, if you will, stop reflect and let them call out his love endures forever and let those who fear the Lord and this is where we see this opening up this prophecy that the Messiah wasn't just coming for the the nation of Israel but he was coming for anyone who places their faith in him anyone who says they fear the Lord they can call out his love endures forever the second section verses 5 through 14 will be the longest section we go through this evening and I have entitled this section the Lord's timing is 
perfect. You can say amen again. The Lord's timing is perfect. Read with me, starting in verse 5. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The Lord's timing is perfect. As we celebrate Christmas, we see that all of these things in history happen to match up, fulfilling just the birth of Jesus, fulfilling over 100 prophecies that were made hundreds and thousands of years talking about the coming Messiah. The Lord's timing is perfect. What would happen to Jesus as we read through this and and going through this passage when we're reading about Jesus and the trials that he's going through the last week of his life here on earth? We see that this is so clearly reflecting Jesus. I am surrounded by my enemies. I am surrounded like bees everywhere I look. This passage is one that should always be playing through our mind when we feel alone when we think that everyone is out to get us, when things just don't seem to be working out the way we want, when our Christmas plans have been canceled now three years in a row, talking from experience, when different things that we had set our heart on, that we had set our mind on, when those things just don't seem to be going right, when it seems like everyone is against us for sometimes it's stupid stuff that we did, and other times it's maybe it's stuff we stood up for that was for for Christ. But it seems like everyone is out to get us, or we feel like, where are my friends? We could take solace in knowing that this was telling of Jesus, where as he is being led, carrying his own cross, beaten, that both the religious leaders of Israel and the political leaders of Rome were against him. When he looked for where his friends were, they had abandoned him. When we are going through these different emotions and we are going through these feelings, and I can tell you from a pastor's perspective, this is the toughest time of year for people sometimes. Just when you think it can't get any worse, Valentine's Day comes sweeping in. But going through this time is difficult and we can feel alone. We feel like the things we wanted to do, the things we had our hearts set on just didn't work out. We can know that Jesus went through so much more than we could ever fathom. I love how he points out three different things. He says, what can mortals do? Do not trust in humans and do not trust in the word princes is used. What he's saying is do not trust in political figures. There is so much fear. I don't know if you've noticed this. So much fear surrounding us constantly. 
People make millions of dollars off of fear. People use fear to get your vote. There is so much fear that is continually being dumped on us at a level unprecedented in history. And sometimes we need to stop and ask, what can mere mortals do? Are they more powerful than God? Is what they do catching God off guard as if he didn't know? Are we putting our our trust and our faith in a human being of any kind, political or not? Remember, the Israelites had a very hard time remembering this. In fact, it's funny that in Psalm 118, it's foretelling of the Israelite people saying, hey, we need a king. And God said, no, 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 I'm your king. And they said, yeah, but we'd rather have a human being. And they got King Saul. And he warned them, when you put your faith in a human ruler, here's what is going to happen. And I won't get too much into it tonight. But he warns them, when you put your faith in a human ruler, when you allow that human ruler to be an idol, this is what follows. And here we see Jesus surrounded by the the political leaders, the religious leaders. Everyone is chanting, crucify him. Why? Because he knows the Lord's timing is perfect. It's in times where you think there's no way that he can get out of this, that he demonstrates just how powerful he truly is. And we go back and think, why did we think mortals could do something to throw God off? Why did I put my trust in a human being? Why did I put my trust in a political leader? Uh, saying that I've kind of, kind of said and came up with, I warned some people tonight that we've had car alarms go off, so I warned you. But there was a saying, and, and Paul David Tripp in his book, Awe, A-W-E, he says that we will always worship whatever it is that we put our awe in. Whatever we put our awe, whatever we put our sense of wonder, whatever we put our sense of power in, that is what we will naturally as human beings worship. And I've kind of changed it around to uh, a saying, what we fear, we worship, and what we worship, we fear. We allow idolatry to creep into our lives because we're scared of what somebody or something might think or say. And when we do that, we allow this idol worship to creep into our lives. What we fear, we worship, and what we worship, we fear. I just wanted to point out as well, the first four verses are a group. It's an assembly chanting out. But in this verses 5 through 14, it takes this form of an individual. If you look how many times the word I is used. And here's where we see the Messiah announcing that the Lord's timing is perfect. And that leads us into verses 15 through 21. And I've titled this, The Lord is Victorious. And again, we see coming right out of, I'm surrounded by bees. My enemies surround me. My friends have have disappeared. And verse 15 through 21 come, the Lord is victorious. Read with me. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The Lord is victorious. 
The Lord's timing is perfect. As everything seemed wrong, as this little baby being born that we celebrate this, if you've been around babies, something you notice is they are totally helpless creatures. And the Lord Almighty, that everything was created for him, by him, and through him, comes to earth in the form of a helpless baby. And that helpless baby would grow up to feel like he is surrounded like bees, as if everyone is out against him because they were. And just when it seems like there is no hope, we find out the Lord's timing is perfect because as we read in 15 through 21, the Lord is victorious. That would have been a good point to say amen. I'll try it again. The Lord is victorious. I love verse 15. The shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. How many times through the Old Testament do we see that there are always these two groups of people, it seems? There's the group that's like, yeah, we got your back, leader. We know you're following God. They go on their tongue, they're like, that guy's crazy. We're never going to win. We should go back to Egypt right now because at least we knew what we were getting there. And then there was the tent of the righteous. The tents of the righteous, their faith is in God. And so what do they do when they go back into their tent? with just their family or their close friends, the shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. So we asked the tough question that we'll come back to in a couple minutes, but what are the things shouted and proclaimed in your dwelling? What are the things talked about? What are the things excited about? I go back to what we fear we worship and what we worship we fear. It's demonstrated in our attitudes, it's demonstrated in our emotions, it's demonstrated in our conversations, what it is we truly worship. But then look at verse 17. Right after Jesus, who everyone thinks he is dead, but he was just fulfilling his Father's will. He's crucified on the cross. He takes your sins and my sins on his shoulders. He takes them to the grave. And when everybody thought it was all lost, he says, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. Just as everyone had lost hope in that little baby born in Bethlehem, they thought it was over. They thought they were following a joke. He rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. And so that those who thought everything was hopeless found eternal hope. Verse 17, proclaim what the Lord has done. Look back at verse 14, the ending of verse 14. He has become my salvation. The end of this section, verse 21, you have become my salvation. How can we not, if you have made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, how can you not, especially this time of year, proclaim what the Lord has done? Proclaim that because that little baby came to earth, the all-knowing, all-powerful God came in the form of a helpless baby, and because of that and because of what he would go through in his life here on earth, you and I can proclaim he has become my salvation. That brings us to verses 22 through 25. The Lord is the rejected conqueror. This 22 through 25 connects the previous section, the Lord is victorious, and the ending. It's kind of a a bridge or a connecting piece. It's almost a reminder that Jesus was victorious. Read verses 22 through 25 with me. 
the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. You notice the theme of thankfulness and joy and victory and gladness. The Lord is the rejected conqueror. Two words you normally don't put together. Rejected and conqueror. That he was rejected by mankind. In fact, as he was building the kingdom, as he was going around and healing people, it was those who thought they were the builders, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the high priests. They rejected the Messiah. Those that claimed to know God best rejected the promised Messiah when he was standing in front of them. And this is a reminder that Jesus was victorious. He was rejected by the political and religious leaders that what was once rejected became the most important piece. The cornerstone must be true, meaning the cornerstone has to be perfect. If the building is going to be square, everything else will be lined up according to this cornerstone and the structure's security and strength are only as good as the trueness, the truthfulness of the cornerstone. And here Jesus comes to earth and lives a perfect life and he is rejected because of it. But now our very faith, for those of you that fear the Lord, our very faith is built on this perfect cornerstone that is true. That provides security. How many times the psalmist calls him my rock, my refuge, my strength. It is only because of that perfect cornerstone. And then he uses pieces of, of me and of you. People that can only seem to do wrong, but his trueness is so perfect, he adds us. The Lord is the rejected conqueror. This goes into verses 26 through 29, the, the closing of this psalm. It says, The Lord is eternally good and deserving of our all. The Lord is eternally good and deserving of our all. Start with me in verse 26. I'm sorry, let's start at verse 25. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The verse 26 sounds familiar. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you add Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna after it. This is what they would cheer and shout as Jesus rode into Jerusalem beginning the Passion Week. This would be what they shouted in Jerusalem for the Messiah just a week before they would crucify him. Verse 27, and we're going to come back to this, says the Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. In just a moment, we'll light candles and we'll, we'll sing, talking about the Lord is the light of the world. This, this reminder that as this little baby born in a stable, which seems so awkward to us, even more so for them, 
but it was the Lord's perfect timing. The, the light appeared. John 1, and we'll read that in a moment, and, and many passages that talk of Jesus being the light of the world, that he would expose the darkness for what it is, and also being a welcoming presence for those who are looking for it. When the light shows up and you are lost in the dark, you cannot be happier to see the light. It brings with it such hope, such guidance brings with it the hope of, of rescue. In survival situations, they always have a fire simply because it gives you the hope that you need. But those who love the darkness will run from it. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. Now, this is an interesting passage and what this means we have to walk through because we think of it as Jesus coming in and them celebrating, but Understand that with bows in hand, join in the festal procession. This was a time of the three different pilgrimage festivals that happen in Jerusalem every year of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, where people came from all over the world to celebrate this time. And there was a procession where people would gather and celebrate. And this is this week leading up to this Passover week that they are coming to. They are lining up and they are celebrating in the streets of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus comes in, and that we know very well, but the, the history of what would have actually have happened plays out in this passage. The, with bows in hand, these are people coming out celebrating, but what were they normally celebrating? Then says, from the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession, and all that sounds good, but when you read this next line, up to the horns of the altar... Jesus rode that young donkey through the streets and they threw the, the branches and they cheered and they threw their coats down saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus rode into the temple, but normally that was reserved for the great sacrifice of that feast. Jesus is demonstrating that now he has become, and it didn't click with them, but he has become that ultimate sacrifice. That all the other sacrifices that have been made were pointing to him coming to earth. We're pointing to him being this incredible gift of God to earth. The reason that we give gifts at Christmas was God gave his only son to earth in the form of a baby. And he would grow to become this man, the Messiah, that is being led through and being celebrated as they would normally celebrate the, sacrifice, the sacrificial animal. Jesus would come through the streets of Jerusalem as the crowd shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, not realizing that he was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus rode into the temple, yet instead of being bound to the altar at the temple like the normal sacrificial animal, Jesus would be bound to a cross where he would be the sacrifice for humanity that can be covered in his perfect blood. If you're here this evening and you have never called out for that forgiveness, if you have never began that relationship with God, our prayer is that tonight is that evening. Understand, when we talk about the Lord is eternally good and deserving of our all, when we talk about the Lord's goodness, when we talk about the Lord's power, there is a quote that says, there is no exaggeration in explaining the greatness of God. In other words, we cannot exaggerate talking about how awesome God is. 
You know, we can drive around and see all these nativity scenes in yards. You can see them in, outside of buildings and churches. And we see baby Jesus surrounded by Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the animals. Uh, some of them have the wise men there. Uh, even more surprisingly, uh, according to some people's yards, Santa was there. Uh, there was a random drummer boy, apparently, at some. I don't remember reading about those, but some of our neighbors, that's feels like a drummer boy would have been very upsetting to a mother trying to get a baby to sleep. But do we stop and consider that this precious gift... The most precious gift for humanity ever given came in the form of a helpless baby. We drive around and we see the baby in the manger or we read about it with our children. Do we stop and think what that baby's sole purpose of coming to earth was? Was to be rejected. Was to become the ultimate sacrifice. That the greatest gift ever given was of God giving his one and only son to people that were completely and totally undeserving of it. We tend to give gifts to those that have deserved it in some way, whether it's just because we're related or for some other reason, but the greatest gift demonstrated was of God giving a gift of his son to people that were so undeserving, that only ever sinned against him, talked bad about him, and he knew it, he's all-knowing, that everything that he has created for them they took ownership of and forgot about him. And yet his love was so deep that he sent his only son in the form of a helpless baby to become the ultimate sacrifice for them. So I want to leave you with, with this. As we go back through this psalm and as we gather together as, as a group of people, friends, family members, just our family, whatever it is, I want to ask just a couple questions to think through. Number one, what are you excited about this time of year? What are you excited about this time of year? When we think through this psalm and we see that all that God has done, all that Jesus went through as he came to earth as a baby and lived this life for you and for me, what excites us this time of year? What do we put our hope in? We kind of mentioned this, but we can always tell what we put our hope in because we ask the question, what do you talk about? What is the centerpiece of your conversation? As you gather around, are you talking more about, ah, oh boy, this isn't going good. Oh, I can't believe that guy did this again. Is our conversations filled with hope because of the victorious Jesus that we serve? What do you talk about? The other question is, what do you celebrate? Especially in front of your children, what you celebrate gets repeated. What you celebrate, your children will celebrate even more. So what is it that you celebrate this time of year? What are your conversations? Where is your hope? Hopefully it points back to Jesus. I want to read John chapter 1 as we talk about Jesus coming into the world as this light. As we tie this together, I want to read John starting in verse 1. I'm going to skip through. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Drop down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. But I want to think about that. The Word became flesh. That is the Christmas story. The Word, the spoken Word of God, who is Jesus, becoming flesh, coming in the form of that baby. He made His dwelling among us. John writes, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who comes from the father full of grace and truth. We're going to sing. Then I'll come back up and read a little bit more as we continue to celebrate. But as we sing, I want you to think about, have you made that decision to follow Christ? Have you made that decision to make him the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? That is the reason that he came to earth. That is the reason that we celebrate. That is the ultimate gift that God gave to you and to me was the ability to cry out, the Lord is my salvation. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come to your word, this opportunity to celebrate you. Lord, this opportunity, this time of year to be able to reflect on how awesome you are. We get to reflect on the hope that we can put in you and you alone. We get to celebrate your incredible, loving gift that you sent us in your own son, Jesus. That he came to earth. That he came to represent the light of the world. That he came to represent your glory here on earth so that we can call out and have forgiveness of the sins, that we can begin that relationship with you. Lord, I pray that as there's anyone here this evening who has never made that decision, that Today would be the day of salvation. But I pray that as we continue on with this service and song, that we'd be able to reflect on your words. That this year, our hope, our conversations, our celebrations would be pointed around you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.